Welcome to the Real Talk Education Podcast, where we dive into the real topics facing real teachers, leaders, and students with your host, Marlena Gross, EEI champion, national ed thought leader, and founder of EduGladiators. Each week, we will discuss the topics that might be keeping you up at night as an educator or parent. This is not an echo chamber podcast. We will unapologetically examine the real challenges in education, plus provide insights and tips to help you navigate all the things, including curriculum, leadership, DEI, student engagement, advocacy, misinformation, and more. Pop in your earbuds or crank up your speaker because it's time to have some real talk about today's topic. Welcome, friends. This is Marlena Gross, your host for the Real Talk Education Podcast. And it's a new month. It's a new Gladiators theme as well. So for the month of November, we are going to dive into college and career readiness, both during our podcast episodes for this month, as well as on our Saturday Gladiators Twitter chats. And yes, we're still doing our Twitter chats. <laughs> Each week, we're going to explore a different aspect of the college and career readiness process to help students prepare for their adventures after high school. And in today's episode, we're going to focus on our Black students um, and also our BIPOC students. So you might hear me use those two interchangeably. But equity work is complex and where things might have started out focusing um, on just our black students in regards to just our history with slavery and uh, Jim Crow laws and all the things that unfortunately are still at least in practice present today. You'll see that many of the topics that uh, we cover in this particular episode episode can also be applied to our BIPOC students, so all of our students of color, our indigenous people as well. So for that, it's time to have some real talk about how to eradicate the help mentality or more formally known as occupational hierarchy for our BIPOC students. And to do so, this will require us as gladiators to actually assess our own personal awareness and knowledge gaps of systemic racism in our school practices, in our school culture, and even in our school operations. So in today's episode, you will learn how unconscious bias of educators impact career expectations of BIPOC students, Three key areas that can help schools and districts accurately diagnose problematic college and career readiness practices. And you will learn guiding questions to support data collection around these three key areas to ensure equitable, diverse, and inclusive environments for all students. As we think about eradicating the barriers of occupational hierarchy, or as I like to term the help mentality of our BIPOC students, it's important that we identify drivers and access points in our college and career readiness practices that actually can subconsciously reinforce the pathways of the very barriers we're trying to eradicate. So, Let's dive right into today's learning. So 
let me start with a story about my family. And many of you may not know this, but of course, I'm from southern Louisiana, and my maternal grandmother was a housekeeper. That's who I'm named after, actually. Marlena comes from, actually named after both of my grandmothers. Um, but my maternal grandmother, her name was Lena, um, she was a housekeeper, and she was a housekeeper for white people. She was, in fact, air quotes here, the help cleaning white people's houses and taking care of their children, uh, usually from around 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. each weekday. Her father was a sharecropper until he finally had enough and paid off, air quotes here, the man at all costs, and he got his wife and his kids out of uh, that particular area in Louisiana. And one of those kids was my grandmother, Lena. And so my great-grandfather, my grandmother's father, walked up the railroad tracks in Louisiana to a then small town. It's not so small anymore. And in his mind, he walked to freedom. Now, neither my maternal grandmother nor her father were allowed a full education simply because they were black. And they lived in southern Louisiana, where Jim Crow laws severely limited their opportunities for both a comprehensive education and gainful employment. My maternal grandmother, Lena, and her father followed one of the few paths available to black Americans in the early 1900s, which by law tied this once enslaved group of Americans to second-class citizenship, to low-paying sharecropping jobs and other domestic work. In fact, uh, in certain parts of the South, it became illegal for Black women to actually stay home and uh, be the caregivers in their home, that they actually had to go out and work. So I'll let you Google that and find that era when that happened. But all of this kind of coalesced around the same time of limiting the opportunities of Black Americans. And in this case, my maternal um, grandparents were, were included. Now, while I hold an incredible amount of pride in my maternal grandmother and my great-grandfather's journey, um, as well, honestly, as my paternal grandparents, their experience is one shared by nearly every Black American born here in the United States from slavery, particularly in the South. So together, my maternal grandmother and grandfather were successful in spite of the limitations imposed on them by society, such as sharecropping and domestic work. But they actually had a clear vision and plan for their children and even their grandchildren, hence Marlena here, myself, to elevate above the occupational hierarchy Black Americans actually continue to be circumscribed to in our country. So both my maternal and paternal grandparents were convinced that a good education paired with knowledge, and that knowledge was uh, often called code switching now, but common sense uh, is how my, my grandparents referred that to me, to navigate the white man's world, and quotes there, air quotes there, would all but ensure that my destiny to rise above occupational hierarchy would be achieved. 
So here's what that looked like. Even before I was of age to have a job as a teenager, I grew up knowing that there were certain positions I would never be allowed to work. You guessed it. One was domestic work because my maternal grandmother literally was the help. Uh, Both sets of my grandparents on my mom and dad's side were adamant that I nor my brothers ever work in any type of domesticated role. In fact, my parents went a step further and they did not permit me nor my older brothers to work in fast food restaurants um, or in the restaurant industry in general. School was our job and excelling academically was the minimum expectation. Now, there's a lot of research around uh, the role of uh, low-paying jobs, like fast food jobs, how we, are, we, are, we have as a country tracked from our school systems even, the argument can be made, tracked our BIPOC students, our black and brown and indigenous uh, students into the pathway of only being able to achieve working in a fast food industry past their teenage years. You see, my grandparents knew and my parents knew that success is the ultimate form of resistance to systemic racism and inequities in our schools and community. However, my personal advocacy as an educator, as an edugladiator, continues to revolve around identifying the support necessary for our black and brown students in particular to be more than the help once they are adults and actually have diverse opportunities to be successful and even create a legacy of excellence. In order to eradicate the barriers Black Americans uh, in particular have had to endure, but again, the same now can be extended to our our brown uh, students and their families around occupational hierarchy. We have to start with a systemic approach to increase stakeholder commitment to racial equity, coupled with intentional actions that truly value and support a culture rooted in equity and diversity. In previous episodes, uh, particularly last month when we were talking um, about being unapologetically DEI and we talked about all of the different unconscious biases, the terrible three, you might recall, um, that could be particularly harmful. Understanding our own biases as educators, no matter actually what color we look like or how we identify, is still extremely important because the research suggests that analyzing data in um, in the following three key areas that I'll talk about can actually help schools and districts find areas of concern as well as how to mitigate or, or eradicate uh, the different biases and how they show up and how we go about our career, our college and career readiness for our students. And that's not just in high school, but it really starts all the way um, into pre-K. So research um, identifies three areas in particular that are particularly impactful to understanding and eradicating occupational hierarchy or 
the help mentality or the help actuality, um, because that's what it actually ends up being if we as um, school leaders and teachers and community members do not address these three. So the three are programmatic equity, teacher quality equity, and achievement equity. The Intercultural Development Research Association provides guiding questions in each of these three areas to help us actually collect data to see how schools and districts are addressing or even identifying first and then addressing the institutional changes needed to help eradicate eradicate the pathway of our students, particularly our our BIPOC students of being the help and to help ensure equitable, diverse, and inclusive environments for all of our students. So what do these guiding questions look like? Well, let's take each each of the three equity areas that the research shows as being uh, a critical factor. Let's take each one um, one at a time and talk about the three or four guiding questions that can help you and your school, your school leaders, uh, really dive into how do we how do we make our process for college and career readiness more equitable. So let's start with programmatic equity. Here are a few questions that you can ask yourself, uh, according to the research, that would be very helpful. The first one. Which population groups are underrepresented in AP, advanced placement classes, or honors classes? And that's something that you should be able to easily pull up because we are all digital now. And you can look into your student uh, management system uh, wherever you load up your courses. And you should be able to look up and see which groups are underrepresented. And then next, when you look at which groups are underrepresented, you want to look at which groups are overrepresented or even underrepresented in special education classes. If the goal is to have all of our kids prepare for truly jobs that haven't been created yet, but that will exist by the time they graduate high school and our college and our technical school or the military, whatever the case might be, it's important that we look at who is overrepresented or who is underrepresented in special education classes. The last guiding question of programmatic equity that the Intercultural Development Research Association poses is which groups are disciplined more often and more severely than other groups? When we think about our unconscious bias, when we think about our culturally responsive practices and pedagogy, this guiding question really targets that because if kids are not in class, if they are being um, targeted or being subjected to uh, discriminatory uh, practices around discipline, we need to address that because they are not even in the classes that they need to be in to uh, help them be prepared for the future. So let's look at the next uh, and second uh critical component, teacher quality equity. Now, most of you can probably guess maybe some of the guiding questions that the research provides, but we're going to go through them all the same. The first one for teacher quality equity is, and we have probably, you have probably heard of this if you've been in education for any period of time, is that 
are the most experienced teachers teaching the students with the greatest needs? I will say that one more time. Are the most experienced teachers teaching the students with the greatest needs? Now, not all states track that data. It depends on uh, a factor, uh, factors, different factors, but that is something worth asking your um, data department. How do we know if we have the most experienced teachers teaching our students with the greatest needs, right? Teacher quality, per John Hattie, we know that the impact of having a great teacher um, or, or teacher quality is absolutely critical. The second question, are most of the new teachers teaching in the schools with the greatest needs? Now, this often happens, and this is something that you have to ask yourself. Ask your building team, ask your district, are most of the new teachers teaching in the schools with the greatest needs? Because that is impacting um, how kids learn and know about different uh, career readiness options, as well as their experience in school. The third teaching quality equity question that could help guide your work is, are there certain schools where there is a higher teacher mobility? And if so, why? If we have a high transfer rate um, or a high, um, or I should say uh, a low retention rate, those are questions that you can ask your HR to help problem solve. I know that when I was a building leader, uh, that was something that was super important. And I always had that at the front of mind to really think about and be able to articulate um, the retention or why teachers might be leaving. I'll never forget, as a, as a funny aside, when I was a middle school principal, I literally at one time had eight teachers that were expecting, and they were kind of right behind each other, and as people were putting in leave requests or whatever, um, that came up. HR asked, like, hey, what is going on there? Like, why are these people, like, putting in requests to leave or short-term, right? And they hadn't read, like, the reason why, but I... I was able to explain that. Like, I literally have eight um, ladies that are expecting. And um, and I'm, we are so happy, and we have a plan to address that. So that is something that you do have to ask. Now, I wasn't necessarily at this particular middle school in uh, a school that had uh, maybe the greatest needs of the district, but it was one with the greatest um, number of uh, one-on-one students um, from our special education department. And so this was something that really impacted our whole school culture and uh, that we all wrapped around all of our kids, uh, including, of course, including our special ed kids as well, uh, especially in light of having so many teachers out throughout the year at some point or another as they were uh, doing real life things like having their families or starting their families. The final teaching quality equity question that you should consider is, are teachers in the high needs areas like special ed, like uh, bilingual education, ELD, ELL, whatever you may call it, are they certified? Now, I know we have experienced the great resignation and the teaching force literally in droves. I understand that. But we still need to make sure that we have certified teachers in front of our special education and our EL, um, our ELD students as well. So those are four questions to help 
get you thinking as well as your team about how are we using our teachers to the best of our ability in our college uh, and career readiness preparation. Now, the last one is achievement equity. That's the last area. Um, As we think about achievement area, what we're really talking about is this and asking ourselves these questions. What are the achievement and opportunity gaps among population groups based on state assessment exam at each grade level? However, whether it's a state exam, whether you do benchmarking, whatever the case might be, but identify the achievement and opportunity gaps. We know the research is overwhelmingly clear that students that are behind in their literacy uh, by third grade tend to stay behind and they just fall further behind, oftentimes dropping out of school uh, in ninth or 10th grade. So this really matters to identify what those achievement and opportunity gaps are um, at each grade level. Uh, I would even suffice it to say that as we think about this, and I'm going to mix the teacher quality uh, guiding question here, a new one that I'm just throwing out there is, not only should you be looking at are the right teachers, um, are they certified and highly qualified in your schools, but what about the grade? Particularly if you are, I mean, it applies K-12, but where I've seen the most of where this matters is in elementary and middle school. I've seen, uh, when I was assistant principal at elementary school, I've had teachers that I just needed to move a different grade and that was just their jam. They found their groove, right? And same for middle school. So those are questions to ask when we think about achievement, when we think about how some of our schools still have prerequisites. And if you do, you really should consider canceling that. Um, what kids make in class literally impacts their ability to access higher level courses. Um, another achievement equity guiding question that the research highlights is which population groups are graduating at lower rates than others. And typically, no matter where you are, that tends to be um, groups that identify in your BIPOC area. Another question is which students are being retained in a grade and which students finally are dropping out of school. I want to just talk about the retainment for a second. You have to be super careful first of all, about retaining students. Um, There's tons of research around that. And as an educator uh, for over 20 years, I know that's hard for some of you if you have the same level or, or probably more experience than I've had in education around retaining. Retaining students just will not ensure that they will do better the next year. It just hasn't been proven to work. And oftentimes, the group of students that are retained are black and brown students, are BIPOC students. So when we think about achievement equity, we have to think about how are students being retained? And if they are continuing, we need to look at when they're in high school, what are their dropout rates? Because that absolutely matters. Just a sidebar, kids go to high school, like what keeps kids in high school is not It's not their core teachers, it's their electives, it's their sports, it's their arts. And so we really need to look at, and if you haven't already done so, come up with a plan to really address how you can support students um, at this level, right? And depending on if it's achievement, equity, teacher quality, equity, um, whatever the case might be, or programmatic equity, how can you support those students? 
So if you go through all of these different, uh, just, just these three pieces of research, uh, the three types of equity and the guiding questions, you will probably be overwhelmed because it, it needs some substantial feedback. Um, you can do it in the form of an equity and diversity audit. You can do it as a Likert scale, open question, whatever the case might be. But um, we know that the pandemic has altered how we teach and connect with our students, families, and even fellow educators. So when we think about how do we take these guiding questions, how do we expand it and get information from other stakeholder groups it's important to be flexible. Um, you might consider getting this feedback from a virtual listening session, a Zoom, or maybe you do Google Meet. Um, you can consider doing that. You can consider having focus groups from specific stakeholder groups that can help provide a diverse perspective um, on the level of equity um, and perception of diversity support, especially as we talk about college and career readiness, okay? Um, so it's okay to get help too, but just know that as you think about how do you collect these, this data and using these questions to help guide it, um, you might have to be virtual. You might have to be flexible and offer multiple opportunities to gather this particular feedback. You know, once the data has been collected, once it's been analyzed, um, if you're using those guiding questions from those three uh, levels of equity, you just really simply create action plans. You create, uh, using SMART goals, you create action plans um, to help you achieve your equity and diversity goals. If you use SMART goals, then you always have that embedded follow-up. And that's really important when we're talking about moving the needle um, of DEI. And in this case, we're talking about focusing on um, eradicating hierarchical, hierarchical, <laughs> hierarch, hierarchical, I can't even say that right now, um, how to mitigate uh, that help mentality. And this is uh, a great way to do that. So let's jump right into the tips that I have for you. So this is a, a juicy um, episode. So definitely lean and grab your pen and pencil if you haven't done so already. Rewind this uh, if you need to after you listen to these last few tips. So the tips that I have to eradicate the barriers of occupational hierarchy is really about reflection. So I shared some guiding questions and the three types of equity that should be very useful in you identifying um, what are the areas in your process that you might need to address. But it always comes down to when we're thinking about how do we empower our BIPOC students to be more than the help, it comes down to facing our own biases. And when we do that, it does not lend itself to easy conversations usually depending on who you are and how you identify and how, how, how long you've been around a diverse uh, population. See, race is just a social construct. It's embedded in the very creation of our country, um, which makes it interesting because our forefathers like juxtaposed the revolutionary ideas of equality and rights of man, yet not recognizing um, at that time enslaved Africans uh, that eventually became Americans as, uh, as people deserving of those rights and, and equity. So as educators, we have to be committed and unapologetic to face our own biases, to initiate and facilitate 
productive, honest conversations about root causes of biases in our communities and the impact those biases have on our interactions with our students, with their parents, especially when we're talking about college and career readiness, okay? We have to address our bias. I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago and um, I was sharing with a group of educators that they had to be careful that in their in their heart of trying to do the right thing and to help out students that they weren't um, they weren't upholding these barriers that they're trying to eradicate. For instance, I shared with them like we can't assume a student's uh, intent when they get to when they get here, especially if they're a newcomer, as being um, they just need to hurry up, get out of school so they can go straight to work. Right. Like to go ahead and work uh, a nine to five right away. We can't assume that about all kids because we know how important it is for having to have a great education and the connections that you make, whether that's a four year college, two year college, military, whatever the case might be. So when we are thinking about what what are the tips we can use to eradicate occupational hierarchy, it really starts first with reflection. That is the most powerful tool in not only assessing our actions and the progress of our actions, but also the process to the reactions um, or the actions of our stakeholders. So here are a few reflection questions that you might want to jot down to help you uh, in this way. And these are your tips, these questions. The first one, how might you encourage the collective action of your peers to your colleagues to explore spaces for dialogue on diversity so all students feel safe and valued. The second question, when constructing space for dialogue, what norms should guide these conversations to ensure equal participation of all voices and freedom from judgment? And if you are not sure, this is where it's important to bring someone from the outside in, especially if you don't have these protocols already set in your district. And the third tip is small groups of committed educators can drive change in school equity efforts. So think about after hearing all the things you've heard in this episode, what action or actions will you take um, even next week by next week to help lead the equity work in your school or district? And that might look that action might look like um, however you answered one of the three equity questions. Okay. And then for our last, uh, for our last question is uh, a reflection question is how do you avoid structural structural inequities in your master schedule and student course request process? How do you avoid those inequities? Okay, how do you avoid that? Do you have prereqs? Um, how are you grade? How are your teachers grading? Like if, if you're in a state where, and I've experienced this in my in my past, if a kid passed the state exam and say they might have failed uh, my class, if they passed the state exam, that was a pass for the year because state exam is to me it's the floor, but that's the foundation, the minimum of what we should know. So really think about how you can avoid structural inequities by simply looking at your master schedule and your student course request, okay? So I hope that you found this episode helpful. Um, Here's the deal. 
and this this particular episode has been recorded um, leading up to the upcoming November elections. We've had such divisive political discourse around race, religion, immigration, um, that it's really tough to address and examine your own bias. But we have to. It's imperative that we have courageous conversations to repair the damage and take decisive action to open pathways for our BIPOC students so that they can be more than the help. What was your takeaway from the episode? I'd love it if you take a screenshot of this episode on your phone or device and tag us on social media at uh, Edugladiators with your comments. And also be sure to subscribe to the Real Talk Education podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you won't miss an episode. Finally, I would like to encourage you to grab your copy of 10 Perspectives on Equity Education or Equity in Education, and you can read my full piece, Being More Than the Help, in that book, along with some great, fantastic educators. Uh, I'll also be sure to link uh, the title of the book in um, in the episode show notes as well. Well, that's all I have for today. I do hope you have an amazing rest of your week and I hope to see you in the arena this Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Central Time, uh, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. See you then.